Well, it is springtime. It, uh, it kind of came uh, upon us all of a sudden, like um, maybe a little too fast for some who's a little sticky out. Um, but with spring comes a return of a busy season of yard work, field work, home maintenance, construction projects, and it can also be the beginning of vacation season, recreation season, camping, fishing, ATVing, summertime sports. Uh, to some of you, just hearing that list might make you feel a little tired, and, and maybe it should. I, I tend to be one who forgets uh, every year that every project I want to do takes more time than I always think it's going to take, and um, I get a little bit overwhelmed, and at the end, uh, something has to give, and oftentimes that thing is sleep, and so you end up getting a little less sleep. Um, bear with me for this next little section. Uh, according to the National Sleep Foundation, 35% of all adults in the U.S. report sleeping less than seven hours per night on average. And I would not be surprised at all if that percentage uh, goes up during the summer and down during the winter, especially for us that live in the northern areas where we feel like we maybe need to make up for the last three or four, or what may feel like five months, depending on how the, how the winter went for us. Um, but the Sleep Foundation says that most adults, for most adults, at least seven hours of sleep each night is needed for proper cognitive and behavioral functions. An insufficient amount of sleep can lead to serious repercussions. Some studies have shown that sleep deprivation leaves people vulnerable to attention lapses, <laughs> attention lapses, reduced cognition, delayed reactions, and mood shifts. It has also been suggested that people can develop a sort of tolerance for chronic sleep deprivation. Even though their brains and bodies uh, struggle due to lack of sleep, it kind of feels normal to them um, because they're so used to those deficiencies. Additionally, lack of sleep has been linked to higher risk for certain disease and medical conditions, including obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, poor mental health, and early death. Adults who do not receive enough sleep each night can implement some positive lifestyle changes that can uh, help, help them to get the, the suggested seven to nine hours that adults need. Uh, these include establishing a realistic bedtime and sticking to it every night, even on the weekends, maintaining comfortable temperature levels and light levels in your bedroom, considering a screen ban on televisions, computers, tablets, cell phones um, in the bedroom before bed. Abstain from caffeine, alcohol, large meals uh, before leading up to bedtime. Uh, refrain from using tobacco at any time, day or night, and exercise during the day. This can help you wind down for sleep at night. Now you may be thinking, why is he doing a sleep awareness public health announcement in the middle of church? <laughs> well, first of all, sleep and rest uh, were created by God for man. It says in Psalms 127, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. God wants us to put our trust in him and not be overwhelmed by work or by recreation or by addiction. I actually thought that when I started studying sleep and rest that I was going to find a lot more verses that had to do with the benefits of sleep. I thought maybe I'd find a proverb that said something like, you know, the roof, as a roof collapses for lack of support, um, determination fails because of lack of sleep. But, it, but it's not there. I did, I did not find that. It sounds good though, right? <laughs> um, but what I found is that even though we know that sleep is essential 
um, it's, it's part of life, and it's part of being a good steward of our bodies, it's not the kind of rest that has the biggest impact on our ability to fight temptation and to treat others well. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was with the disciples, he told them to stop sleeping and to pray so that they would not fall into temptation. Um, he said that the, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of rest for our souls. So let's pray and ask God to teach us. Dear Heavenly Father, we desire to celebrate you and give you glory and honor that you deserve. Yeah. We also come to meet with you and to feel your spirit interact with ours. We know that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and we desire to be filled by, strengthened by, and encouraged by you and your word to us. Lord, I'm about to say a lot of words, and I ask that you would bless them, but above that, I pray that you'd help us to hear your voice and hear what your spirit has to say to each one of us and that we would leave here holding tightly to those things that you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On Easter, I shared a little bit about how we were made different than the rest of creation. That we were made in the image of God and just as God has three parts, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we, um, that we were made more than just merely flesh. God created us to have a body, soul, and a spirit as one being. And in many ways, wrapping our heads around that idea can be as difficult as comprehending the triune God. But in order for us to understand rest for our souls, we have to first understand clearly uh, what our soul is and how the other parts of our being affect our soul. So let's start with the body. Uh, anyone here who does not have a body, please raise your hand. Okay. All right. So we're good. Everybody has a body. Our body is a temporary vessel that we experience the world in. Of course, we have legs and arms and hands and feet, and these are the tools that we use to move around and to do work. Um, but, um, but it is also what we use to see, to taste, to feel, to experience excitement. Our brain takes in all of these sensations and even responds to some experiences by releasing chemicals like adrenaline that increases blood flow to the muscles and increased uh, sugar levels into our blood flow. Um, we also see that uh, it, the, uh, the brain will release a chemical called dopamine and it's uh, what they kind of a, call a feel-good drug. It's a chemical that uh, encourages or motivates you to do again things that, that you enjoy. And so um, as that happens, your brain um, the brain encourages you to do these things again, and as you do the things over and over again, you create these neural pathways, these, these stronger connections that cause you to develop habits. Um, and these habits uh, can affect your cravings, uh, it affects the desires that we have, it affects um, who we desire to have a relationship, it affects how we respond in a variety of different situations. All of this is part of our body. Now this is just scratching the surface of what our body does and how our brain affects how we live. As an example, um, I'd like you to experience something. Some of you may recognize the sound of the can of pop opening and move on, but for others, over the next few minutes, you might feel a craving for a can of pop. I'm sorry about that if that's the case. 
Um, it may be stronger for some and weaker for others, but your brain has made connections based on repetition. The sound of the can opening reminds us of the enjoyment of the beverage. Now, those connections and the motivation they cause do not take into account that drinking 12 cans a day will be de detrimental to your health and that an unhealthy overindulgence of something is sinful. It just happens. Our body just does it. Our flesh is easily drawn to the pleasures of this world. In Galatians 5, it says, Now the deeds of flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. These are examples of things that your body desires to run after. Whatever feels good in the moment or seems exciting. As I mentioned, as we do things more often, um, we become more programmed to increase the frequency or the quantity or the intensity of these activities. Like the old saying says, sin will take you farther than you expected to go, it'll keep you longer than you intended to stay, and it'll cost you more than you ever expected to pay. So that's our body. Secondly, we have a spirit. The spirit is an eternal part of the believer that the Holy Spirit created in us and speaks to us through. When Adam sinned, his spirit died and man separated, was separated from God. Man's ability to have the Holy Spirit speak to us, teaching us and guiding us inside of our own being was gone. Jesus came, when Jesus came, he spoke to Nicodemus and he told him, Verily, truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, our spirit is a spiritual life born of the spirit of God and sustained and nurtured by the Holy Spirit. In contrast to the sinful nature, which is nourished by doing the desires of the flesh. Our spirit longs for the things of God. As we connect to God through our spirit, it is strengthened. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I'm sure that I do not fully understand what it means to walk by the Spirit or to be always in the Spirit. And I probably never will until this life is over. But if we can imagine a situation, an example, that, that, uh, what this might look like. Um, first, this is the example of not walking by the Spirit. So let's say that your boss has made another change in your department and you're pretty positive that it is not going to be very beneficial to productivity and it's going to make your job a lot harder. Now, Natural reaction may be to go and talk to your coworkers around you about this bad decision and complain about him. Um, you could come up with all of the reasons why he's wrong and, uh, and then go to him and, and voice your opinion. Let him know um, why he's wrong and, and how much it's upsetting you that he's making these changes. Essentially kind of having a grown-up tantrum. But if we respond by listening to the Spirit's desire to honor God we might start by praying that God would give us grace towards him, that he would help us to speak to him in kindness and not anger. 
We pray that we, he would give him wisdom and maybe an openness to other options. We pray that if it's God's will, that he would make an opportunity for him to be open to hearing our ideas and our thoughts. Um, and then as we go on, if we start to feel anxiety or frustration come up, we go again to prayer. And by doing so, um, we remind ourselves that God is in control and we can rest in him. What if we made that a habit in our life? What if we allowed the spirit to guide us and cause our flesh to be transformed, putting to death our natural passions and desires? I know it, it seems easier said than done, right? Um, but the result is rest in our soul, peace with our boss, and a clear conscience with God. Now, half of this story I don't really have to imagine, um, and maybe this is true for you as well. Unfortunately for me, uh, it's the first half. <laughs> Um, and it, it was not until after that I was sure that I made my opinion known that I began to listen to my spirit and heard the Holy Spirit guiding me to make apologies to my boss and repair our relationship. Now, by following the Spirit's lead, I again felt rest in my soul. Did uh, my flesh want to humble myself before my boss? No, no. Um, but my soul is committed um, to following this new life in Christ, this new spirit that he's put in, in me. And even though I might not get it right the first time, uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to us and guide us and bring us back into the right path. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, Now I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Strike a blow to my body. I, it just, it's such a picture of like this, um, it's just not passive, you know, and it's not, it's not subtle, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's intense, you know, and it's purposeful. Um, we need to actively battle against our natural, desi our natural desires. Um, to be purposeful about following the longings of the Spirit. We have to stop and remind ourselves, especially, you know, I talked about how the brain has these, these neural pathways, and, and as we keep on going the same direction to try and um, resolve issues or to try and find peace, uh, it becomes natural to do it that way. It becomes more comfortable doing it that way. And we need to strike blows against our body we need to tell it, no, I'm not going to go the way that my body's craving. I'm going to go to the Spirit. I'm going to go to the Spirit. I'm going to go to the Spirit. And by doing that, we can actually affect um, our habits, and we can make it so that our body bends to the desire of the Spirit rather than the other way around. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not into your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Now this was written before the cross, and they had to depend on the law for their guide. But as believers today, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and all of our with all of our heart is our soul choosing to follow the Spirit's longings and not the flesh. Um, leaning not on our own understanding is listening to the Holy Spirit's guiding over the impulses of our body. This is where our spirit comes into play. And I know that these are kind of overlapping how the, 
the, the body interlaps with the soul and the soul overlaps with the spirit. But we're going to try and talk a little bit about the soul now. This is the third part of who we are. Um, our soul is an eternal part of our being. And it, it is our mind, it is our emotions, and it is our will. And it is constantly influenced by the body and by the spirit. There's a war inside of us, and the, decision we, the decisions we make either strengthens the body's cravings or it strengthens the spirit. Romans 7 gives us a picture of this. And in verse 15 it says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. The soul is part of where God has imprinted a recognition of right and wrong. And he has continued in Romans to... Um, and as we continue in Romans, this next verse sheds light on the separation between uh, these different parts of our being. Continuing in verse 18, it says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, in my brain wiring. I want to do good. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life that when I, when my soul wants to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin and that <clears throat> makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person am I who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And that is the picture of life when we neglect to follow the desires of the spirit and we follow what the flesh desires. When we neglect to allow the spirit to strengthen us and to give us rest. But there's the next part, I and mean, we, we, we touched base. Jesus created our ability for this next part, for this chapter 8 that's coming. In Romans 8, it says, And because you belong to him, because Jesus has made us his own and put his spirit in us, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, note, it does not say that we are now free from ever sinning. It's sad. I really wish that it said that. But it says that we are free from the power of sin, the power of sin that leads to death. It doesn't have power anymore. It doesn't own us, and the death penalty was paid. We now have a way to live free. We have a choice. Verse 5 continues to say, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It says that letting your sinful nature control your mind or letting your spirit control your mind. You have this choice of which one you're going to let control. If the spirit controls your mind, then it leads to a life. It leads to life and it leads to peace. It leads to rest. What will we allow to control our mind? What will we allow to influence our soul? Only the Spirit brings rest. 
In the beginning, we talked about sleep. And we talked about rest for the body. But what about rest for the soul? <clears throat> Has anyone here ever felt emotionally, mentally exhausted? Maybe temptation has been knocking so long and loud at your door that you're losing the will and the strength to say no. Um, I know we've all been there. <clears throat> Life gets exhausting at times. A loved one passes away, a friend lets you down, your work passes you up on a promotion, or maybe they just doesn't feel like they appreciate you. Or maybe life has just seemed kind of void from joy for far too long. It is in these times that we're made painfully aware that our soul is in need of rest. In Hebrews 3, it talks about the Israelites that were led out of Egypt. God was leading them to a place of rest. More than that, he, he didn't just call it a place of rest, he called it his rest. But in verse 19, it says that they would never enter rest because of their unbelief. And then in Hebrews 4, 3, um, he talks about, he's talking to the Christians and he's saying, now we who have believed enter rest. So there's a key here. Faith is the key component, component to entering into the rest of God. There's truth in the saying that says, fear ends where faith begins. When we put our faith in Jesus and in his payment for our sin, we can rest in salvation. We have rest. Um, we have salvation from judgment. When we put our faith in Jesus' victory over death, we can rest without fear of dying. When we put our faith in the Bible as absolute truth, we can rest in the midst of the ever-changing beliefs of the culture around us. When we put our faith in the promises of God, we are overwhelmed by the unmerited favor that God pours out on us and we experience his rest. If the worship team could come. Matthew eleven twenty-eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that if we come to him, we will find rest. The word rest that's used here refers to intermission from labor. It, talks, it refers to refreshing. It talks about uh, to take my ease. Um, there's another verse that uses the same word. In 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. My first year that you think of it, they're just kind of settling on you, but it's actually the, based on the same word that talks about having refreshing and taking my ease. Um, just this, it, this is a picture of calmness that comes. And, it, and I found it kind of interesting because it starts off talking about fiery trials, right? And, um, and uh, when I thought of, well, there's two different things I think about that. One, when I thought of fiery trials, it reminded me of that verse that talks about um, 
the enemy shooting uh, flaming arrows in Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So again, we see faith. It's this trust. It's this belief that's the key to rest. All of these, um, all these fiery trials, all these flaming arrows um, don't need to cause us anxiety. They can be, we can find rest by trust in God. Um, I also thought it was strange. Um, you, when, you th when I think of rest, I think of like, um, I'm going to go camping, right? And I'm going to go set up my lawn chairs around the fire and I'm going to experience rest. But what they're saying, what we're, what we're reading here is, is the, the biggest, kind of the most intense picture of rest is when we're in the middle of trials. Um, that that's when we, we really can, can um, see it kind of in its fullness, see it working. Um, when we're feeling rest in a restful situation, um, it, it's hard to see that the rest is actually doing something. You know, like we're, we're already in a restful situation, but in those situations where we're burdened or we're attacked um, and we feel rest, um, it, it's just, you know that there's power behind it. You can sense the, the strength that's coming to you that isn't of yourself. It's not from the situation, but it's from God. Um, so I don't know if it's, uh, then it's, if it's more notable because of the contrast between the situation and the peace that seems out of place, or if it's because the situation causes us to lean in harder to God than we ever have and experience his strength and peace. And maybe it's both. This last week, I was listening to something, and I heard this example that I thought would be good to share with you. Um, there was a missionary back in 1860. Uh, his name was John G. Patton. Um, he was a missionary to some islands in the South Pacific where there were cannibals. Um, and in the year 1862, a new crisis arose. It says that hundreds of frenzied, uh, frenzied natives vowed the death of the missionary without delay. No war, no war, the name of a chief, um, he urged him to flee into the bush under cover of darkness and hide there in the leafy boughs of a large chestnut tree. From this shelter, he saw and heard the black men beating the bushes in frantic search of him. Concerning the exciting and terrifying experiences of this night, Patton wrote, writes this. He says, I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of the muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there on one of the branches, safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all of my sorrows did the Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to, to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among the chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all of my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. Had I been a stranger to Jesus and to prayer, my reason would have verily have given way. But my comfort and joy sprang from the promise, Lo, I am with you always. If it be to glorify my God, I would not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree and feel again my Savior's spiritual presence to enjoy his consoling fellowship. 
in the middle of all this trial uh, to experience such peace and such connection with God that, that he would long to go back to that, to go back to the trial that he can experience again that kind of intense rest and peace with God. Patton concludes his account of this memorable incident by asking this question, which every heart should ponder in utmost seriousness. He says, if thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend who will not fail you then? As we stand, let's ponder that. We know that we do, and let us commit again to depending on, to leaning on, and desiring um, that kind of peace and that kind of rest uh, through God, through the Holy Spirit, through leaning on our spirit and not our flesh. We put our trust in you, Father. We put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord. So this new spirit that was created in us when we were saved, uh, I'm going to give an example here. There's obviously more to it, but uh, it's kind of like a way of thinking of it, maybe kind of like a smartphone, right? And the Holy Spirit is the internet. And whenever we're in need, we have a direct connection to the one that supplies all of our needs. But is that what we do? Now, this may not be for everyone here, but can you imagine if you prayed or worshiped in the Spirit? Every time you had a need or a question, as often as you go to your smartphone to supply answers, needs, wants, and directions. In our culture today, it is so common for Christians when they get sick or their kids get sick to first run to WebMD instead of first praying for healing. It is likely that when we feel tired or we feel anxious about life and we want peace, we go and watch some YouTube videos or do something online to kind of distract us from what's going on in life. When we're feeling alone, um, sometimes we'll run to Facebook or Instagram or to Twitter, post something in hopes that somebody will say something nice back or at least validate our thoughts with an emoji or a thumbs up. And the whole time we're feeding ourselves this way, our spirit is there and ready. And it's listening close. And if we listen closely, we'll hear the Holy Spirit calling to us, reminding us of the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's reminding us of Paul's words that says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of the glory of his glory in Christ Jesus. So choose to walk by the Spirit and not according to the desires of the flesh. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, spirit things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Go and rest.